Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Science from Wired. For the second time ever, an asteroid sample returns to Earth. The Japanese Hayabusa 2 mission to asteroid Ryugu marks a major milestone this weekend with the return of pristine space rock by Daniel Oberhaus. Early on Sunday morning, the skies above a secluded military complex in central Australia will be brightened by a fireball plummeting to Earth. It'll be a flamboyant homecoming for the sample return capsule from Hayabusa 2, a Japanese spacecraft launched almost exactly six years ago on a mission to shoot an ancient asteroid and steal some of its dirt. If the capsule survives its fiery descent, its payload of pristine space rock will help scientists understand the earliest days of our solar system, maybe shed light on the mysterious origins of meteorites, and may even provide clues about the emergence of life on Earth. Now, it's supposed to land under parachute in the Australian outback, and by the time it does, the sample will have traveled more than 180 million miles from Ryugu. Ryugu is this diamond-shaped asteroid that's orbiting the sun between Earth and Mars, and the scientists believe that it broke off from a larger parent body only a few million years ago. But the rocks that make up Ryugu are closer to 4 billion years old. Hayabusa camped out around Ryugu for more than a year and a half and studied the asteroid from a distance and sent robotic scouts to its surface to get ready to collect the samples. But its main mission was to collect just a few grams of dust and pebbles from this cosmic time capsule of a meteor that's been preserved for eons in the frigid vacuum of space. Larry Nittler is a cosmochemist at Carnegie Institution for Science and one of nine American scientists who were selected by NASA to participate in this Japanese mission. And he said, we're hoping to learn a lot about how a giant cloud of gas and dust turned into planets 4.5 billion years ago in our solar system. Ryugu and other asteroids like it are basically the leftover building blocks that didn't grow into planets and have been floating around ever since. Now, Ryugu looks like a piece of charcoal, and it's the size of several city blocks, and it spins like a top once every eight hours. It's one of the darkest asteroids that's ever been discovered. It has this inky black complexion that's a result of all the carbon that's trapped in organic compounds that are smeared across its surface. Some of these prebiotic compounds, like amino acids, are the building blocks of life. And it just might have been asteroids like Ryugu that seeded Earth with the molecular grist that kicked evolution into gear. 
Now, there are plenty of carbonaceous asteroids like Ryugu in our solar system, but they mostly hang out around the outer planets. And every now and then they bump into each other and break apart and the pieces are sent flying to the sun's inner sanctum. If those pieces happen to collide with Earth, we call them meteorites, and almost everything we know about them is thanks to those bits and pieces that actually make it to the Earth's surface. But by the time they've crash-landed here, they've been cooked to a crisp and have been corrupted by terrestrial chemistry. So sending a probe to a still-orbiting asteroid is the best way to collect a clean sample. With Hayabusa 2 being the first spacecraft to actually visit a carbonaceous asteroid, it can help determine the origins of meteorites discovered on Earth and shed some light on the processes that formed the organic compounds in the early solar system. Harold Connolly is a geologist at Rowan University and a member of the sample analysis team for Hayabusa 2, as well as NASA's own asteroid sample return mission called OSIRIS-REx. He says, are there samples of the organics that we don't have in our collection because they didn't survive going through the atmosphere? We don't know. But he hopes Hayabusa 2 can help solve that mystery. Now, there's also a pragmatic reason to visit Ryugu. NASA researchers identified it as a potentially hazardous asteroid. This means its orbit comes close enough to Earth to create a non-negligible chance of collision. Now, the risk is small, and the complex forces acting on asteroids as they loop around the sun make it difficult to accurately predict their trajectory more than a few decades into the future. Like, for example, an asteroid that's exposed to the sun can release volatile compounds like water and cause it to release the compounds as a gas. That could produce thrust that subtly changes its orbit. We don't fully understand how asteroids move in detail because we don't fully know their composition, says Connolly. This will help us better predict hazardous asteroids and when they might hit Earth. Hayabusa 2 is a follow-up to Hayabusa, a Japanese mission launched in 2003. It was the world's first asteroid sample return mission, but there was a failure with the collection mechanism, and so just a few micrograms of dust actually made it back to Earth. Just like Hayabusa, though, Hayabusa 2 was designed to collect samples and deploy small robots on the asteroid's surface. So Hayabusa 2 cruised through the solar system for three years before it finally arrived at Ryugu in late 2018, and a few months later, the spacecraft deployed a lander called Mascot, and the first of two small Minerva 2 rovers. The cylindrical rover spent five weeks hopping around the surface, collecting data, and sent some pretty incredible pictures back to Earth. The little shoebox-sized lander only lasted 17 hours before its battery died. But during its brief little life, Mascot used a suite of instruments to analyze the composition and structure of the asteroid's regolith. So the lander and the rover completed their mission by the end of 2018, and that set the stage for Hayabusa 2's turn to hit the surface. And scooping up some asteroid dirt is actually harder than it sounds, because Ryugu isn't necessarily solid. Like most asteroids, it's more like a rubble pile. It's just a loose collection of dust and rocks held together by its own gravity. And this makes it tricky to get down to the surface to collect samples without stirring up a lot of rocks that could damage the spacecraft. And specifically, Ryugu turned out to be composed of more large boulders than the mission scientists had expected. Some of these boulders were up to 10 stories high. Tomokatsu Morota is a planetary scientist at the University of Tokyo. And he's one of the researchers who worked on Hayabusa 2's navigation camera. He said safe landing locations were limited by the high abundance of rocks. 
He says the team had to manually count more than 10,000 rocks and remotely measure more than 100 to narrow down suitable landing sites on the asteroid's rough surface. It was very hard work, he says. So by early 2019, the team had picked a landing site, and Hayabusa 2 made its first descent. It lands, and the spacecraft's sample collection horn tapped the surface for only about a second, and then it's done. It returns to orbit the asteroid. But during that brief encounter, Hayabusa 2 fired a small bullet into the asteroid to kick up some dust and trapped it in a collection chamber. And then, a few months later, Hayabusa 2 prepared for another collection run by dropping a small plastic explosive from its orbit to create an artificial crater that's more than 30 feet across. The explosion exposes the older rock beneath Ryugu's surface, and once the debris around the asteroid has settled, the spacecraft made its second brief descent back down to take a sample from inside the crater. Time goes by, it's just a few weeks before Hayabusa 2 departs Ryugu, and its second Minerva 2 rover actually fails before it was even deployed. But the mission controllers didn't want it to go to waste, so they actually release it and conduct a few gravitational measurements before it hits the asteroid. Hayabusa 2 will jettison its sample container when it's about 100,000 miles away from Earth, so about half the distance between our planet and the moon, and once the capsule is touched down, it'll be recovered by a team of Japanese researchers who are actually stationed in the scorching Australian desert. They'll immediately bring it to a temporary clean room that's built on site so it can be analyzed for any volatile compounds like water that may have been contained in the sample. And then, within hours, the researchers will puncture the capsule's hull and bottle up any gases that may have been released by the sample and save them for analysis. After that, the sample will be returned to Japan, where researchers at the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency will distribute small portions to research teams around the world for further study. Exploring samples with laboratory instruments can tell us their composition, how much heating they have experienced, shock events, water flow events, and so on. You can get an entire history lesson from just a tiny sample, says Bill Botke. He's a planetary scientist at the Southwest Research Institute who wasn't involved with the Hayabusa 2 mission. He says only a portion of this information can be determined by orbiting spacecraft. It's like the difference between seeing a mountain from a distance and studying one of its rocks in the lab. Now, the Hayabusa 2 team won't know how much asteroid dirt the spacecraft actually collected until they pry the capsule open, but they're optimistic it'll be around 10 grams. They'll give a significant portion of the sample to the NASA researchers who collaborated closely with Japan on Hayabusa 2, as well as OSIRIS-REx. In fact, NASA and the Japanese Space Agency each tapped a few of their own researchers to help the other agency. Connolly was one of the researchers working on both missions, and he's optimistic that the research done on the Hayabusa 2 samples will improve the research done on the much larger OSIRIS-REx sample when it returns to Earth in 2023. We can apply the lessons learned in the analytical process and the actual information that we managed to tease out of these whispering rocks so that we can prepare better as a community for the analysis of OSIRIS-REx samples, he says. My expectation is that they're going to be complementary and will give us a better picture of the constraints on the earliest solar system processes. Now, the Hayabusa 2 capsule's return to Earth does mark a major milestone for the mission, but it's not the end of the spacecraft's journey. After it jettisons its sample this weekend, it'll continue on a bonus mission to another asteroid that could last as long as 10 years. 
But this time it won't collect any samples. It'll gather valuable data while it orbits the asteroid. You can catch a live stream of the fiery finale of Hayabusa 2's main mission on Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency's YouTube channel. The capsule is scheduled to begin atmospheric entry at around 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, so that's about 2.30 a.m. on Sunday in Japan, and it'll land 15 minutes later. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.